Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 226 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Finally, we've had some rain. Guess which beekeeper chose that day to spend strapping hives and tidying apiaries? Listen in for more of my beekeeping exploits. Oh, and wasps have featured in our work once more. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast, my weekly review of all things beekeeping in my small commercial outfit, the Norfolk Honey Company. For those of you dropping by for the first time, you're very welcome. The podcast is part of my Patreon mentoring and support system, helping beekeepers of all levels of experience. Check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I also have a beekeeping support group on Facebook called Stuart's Beekeeping Basics. Aimed at supporting beginner beekeepers, it's a safe and moderated group where you can be sure of getting a sensible answer to your beekeeping question without being trolled or abused. As those of you who listen on a regular basis will know, it's been a very busy old year for me, and sooner or later some things either get missed or slip by unnoticed. One of those areas has been our social media content this year. I've kind of fallen out of love with some of it, particularly with Twitter, not that I ever had a strong presence there, but I did post a few bits and bobs over the weeks and months. I've not been on there at all this year, and really don't see myself using it in the future. Instagram is another platform where I've slipped into relative silence. I haven't posted there for many months either. Again, with just myself and Steph working in the business, some things just have to give. My focus in terms of social media and online activity really has been on supporting other beekeepers through Patreon and through my one-to-one mentoring. It also means I haven't published any videos publicly on YouTube this year either. I just can't seem to find the time as we expand our business and the number of colonies that we have. We'll see how next year pans out, but I suspect with our plans to grow and develop further, not much will change. Talking of plans for next year, we've just begun our colony development programme. A posh-sounding title for making up nukes to overwinter, really. We've completed 40 splits all currently queenless and awaiting new mated queens to arrive. Unfortunately, here in the UK, we've had a royal mail strike, which means that queens that were meant to be shipped last week for arrival on Friday have had to be held back until Tuesday of next week. We should get them on Wednesday, and it won't delay us too much. It does give all of those splits time to develop queen cells, that I will knock down in order to make them hopelessly queenless, a process that has worked completely for the 14 by 12 nukes we prepared a couple of weeks ago. All of those now have laying queens and are developing nicely. 
For those of you who are new to the whole process of making up nukes to overwinter, it's a straightforward technique, but one that needs to be done sooner rather than later now in order to allow the new queen to settle down and create enough brood in order for the nuke to reach a size large enough to sustain itself through those winter months. It's not really about the foraging or storing of food that's the issue here. It's the lack of adult bodies in the brood nest to maintain a minimum brood nest temperature for larvae to survive and develop and for workers generally to stay warm enough so as not to die from hypothermia. It doesn't have to be huge, but it does need to be big enough to maintain that core temperature. Talking of temperature, it's been hot again, but finally we have had some rain here in East Anglia. Not a massive amount, but it is a start. All a little too late for any chance of seeing plants develop to give a lot of nectar, but it will see the ivy get a much needed drink, which in turn will lead to the development of pollen for our colonies to use over winter. Inevitably, there will also be ivy nectar, which, if you're new to beekeeping, can be a bit of an interesting crop. It's one of the strongest tasting honeys that I know, and has a bit of a medicinal aftertaste. It also sets rock hard in the cone. It's something of a marmite honey. If you have ivy growing near your apiary, look out for bright yellow pollen coming in towards the end of September. This year, probably earlier, and you'll smell the nectar going into the hives long before you see any pollen, I would say. I mentioned the rain. It, of course, rained on the one day last week that I decided to travel around a few apiaries and pick up some spare equipment to bring back, as well as strapping up hives for transportation. At this time of the year, I like to try to get round all of my apiaries and collect up all of the odd bits of kit that I regularly leave behind after a day's inspecting. I tend to drop off supers, queen excluders, spare boxes, floors, roofs, feeders, in fact you name it and we probably have a spare one sitting in an apiary somewhere over the summer months. It's always handy to have some spare kit available for all those just-in-case moments when you find a swarm or a colony exceeds your expectations and produces an extra super of honey in one week. Most of it gets used, but there's always spares left at the end of the summer that need to come back to base. It turns out there was a trailer full of the stuff in the end, so once that was loaded and strapped down, it gave me a chance to wander around the apiary and have a quick look at how the bees were getting on. I tend not to inspect a great deal at this time of the year, unless there's a problem that I know about or I spot something that's not quite right and needs further investigation. It just so happens this trip threw up one of those moments. I've mentioned this before, but it's always good to have a number of colonies, not just one. Two or three at the bottom of the garden if you're a beginner isn't that much more work than just one, to be honest, and you get so much more from them than if you just had one colony. By that, I don't mean honey crop, although naturally you ought to expect a larger crop of honey from three colonies compared to just one. What I'm getting at is feedback. If you have just one colony, there's no easy way to make a comparison. Yes, you can pop round to a friend's garden and look at their bees and compare mentally what you're seeing against what you remember of your own bees. But when you have two or three colonies in close proximity, the comparison is immediate and very visual. 
three colonies, each with flying bees, two crowding the entrance, the third being attacked by wasps, gives that immediate warning that something's wrong and it needs further urgent investigation. Again, two colonies with lots of bees flying out and returning with visible pollen loads, compared to a third that has minimal flying bees and no pollen coming back in, should also be ringing the alarm bell. If you only have one colony, I would highly recommend considering setting up a second for either this autumn in the form of a nuke taken from your main hive, or planning a split next spring to increase to two or three colonies. It was while I was walking around my apiary midweek that I spotted a colony under attack from what I can only describe as a cloud of wasps. The wasps have been a menace this year. I don't think I can recall them being this bad for many, many years. Walking up to the hive, it was immediately obvious something was amiss, and, having said you should have several hives to compare, if you only have one hive and saw this attack, you would probably know something was wrong. Wasps were piling into the roof of all places, Most roofs on national and commercial beehives have vents cut into a couple of sides to allow air to flow through the hive and help reduce moisture and increase airflow generally. The bees, in their wisdom, will very often propolise these completely to seal them up. They obviously haven't spoken to the hive manufacturers who know what's best for them. Anyway, more often than not, on the inside of these roofs, there's a small piece of metal gauze or varroa screen that gets tacked or pinned to the gap to prevent anything getting in or out. On this occasion, the drawing pins had popped and the gauze had fallen away just enough for a wasp to crawl inside. That opened the floodgates and let everyone in. It was as if there was a big neon sign with an arrow pointing at a secret entrance. Every wasp in the area seemed to be making a dash to get inside and out again. Left unchecked, it would easily mean the demise of the colony, as they were also getting attacked at the main entrance. Fighting on two fronts against the wasps isn't something the bees could sustain for long. When I lifted the roof, it was as if I'd rung an alarm bell that only the wasps could hear, because they flooded back out of the holes in the crime board in a flash. I prized the crime board off, and yet more wasps came flooding out. It was quite a sight. To their credit, the bees were doing their best to fight off the wasps, the crime board was covered in workers, and every seam between frames in the hive was full of worker bees defending their colony. It was a simple enough task to refit the gauze over the vents in the roof and replace it. Now there's an interesting situation. A once-opened door, now closed tight with a horde of wasps bouncing around, trying to work out how to get back in. They do seem quite stupid sometimes. Meanwhile, down below at the entrance, wasps were still flooding out of the hive in their droves. How many wasps could there possibly be in a beehive, I wondered? The next step was to assist the bees a little more by reducing the main entrance down to just one bee space. A small piece of foam carefully inserted into the entrance was all it took to close the entrance down to around 6mm or so, and then the fun really started. Wasps were filing out one at a time in quick succession, foraging bees were pushing past them to get back into the hive, while yet more guard bees were chasing wasps out of the hive. It was quite busy, to put it mildly. 
Hopefully, it's enough to give our colony a chance of survival. They will probably need a fair amount of feed to recoup what they've lost to the wasps, but that won't take long at all. Elsewhere, we've been continuing to put treatments into hives to fight against the varroa mite. Something we have noticed in a small number of hives is what's termed varusis, or alternatively, parasitic mite syndrome. Not necessarily the same thing, but results in the same outcome, the demise of the colony. The common denominator in both is the varroa mite. Autumn also happens to be the time when it's most likely to appear, so you should really be looking in on your colonies to check for varroa problems and treat if that is your preferred course of action. The reason now is the most likely time for beekeepers to spot this phenomenon is the change in brood nest construction and size. What I mean by that is that all summer we've left our colonies to get stuck into the task of honey production, large brood nests, thousands of bees and boxes upon boxes of honey, hopefully. But now we see a change. Colonies are looking to consolidate. Queens are reducing the number of eggs they lay and that in turn means any varroa population is having a harder time to find a cell in which to hide in and breed. Varroa populations are hitting a peak at the same time the colony is contracting, the perfect storm for varosis or a PMS problem. What you'll see are things like deformed wings, stunted abdomen on newly emerged workers, uncapped or spotty brood patterns, not to be confused with American fowl brood, but still a kind of pepper pot look anyway. The two problems likely go hand in hand. For the beekeeper, practically, you need to take action or the colony is likely to dwindle and die. If you've not yet checked your colonies prior to putting in some treatment, then do have a quick look soon. Finally, we've had to make some changes to our plans for next year already. The recent drought conditions have meant our supportive farmer at the farm, where we keep our bees over winter, has been unable to drill his oilseed rape crop for next spring and is instead going to grow peas, which are not much use to us beekeepers. We have plenty of time to get organised, but it's another impact of the very dry summer we're experiencing right now. More on all of that planning stuff another time. Well, that's it for this week. For my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.